Hey guys, and welcome to the Money Podcast. This episode, we're going to talk about Web 3.0 or Web 3. Don't you wish you could go back in time and be one of the first investors in the internet? You'd make a killing, right? Well, you can't go back and invest in Web 1.0, which was just static web pages, read only. And you can't go back to invest in Web 2.0 either. That's what we, we have today, creating content and interacting with each other on sites like Facebook. But what about Web 3.0? That's the latest version of the internet, still on the drawing board, being built on blockchain technology. Do you not know what the hell I'm talking about? <laughs> Good, then you're in the right place. Because today we're going to be talking about Web 3.0, what it is, how it works, and most important, how you can make some money from it. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacy, and happy Merge Day. Thank you. It is Merge Day. We will explain that in a moment, folks. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer, Aaron Freeman. Happy Merge Day, Aaron. Oh, happy Merge Day. I'm waiting for Web 3.7. <laughs> Today's special guest is Robert Farrington, a Web 3 expert and founder of digital asset education website, Cult of Money. Robert, I thought you had... A, a, um, a website about college loans. You, you have another one about called, called Cult of Money? I do. Yes, I do. You are a busy boy. Well, thanks thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. This will be fun. This is going to be really fun because I'm a Luddite when it comes to this stuff. And I'm really kind of smart about money. I've been doing it for 40 years, but I'm just it's a little slow in the uptake when it comes to this web stuff or whether or their blockchain stuff. Before we start, though, folks, one quick, one quick thing. This is not financial advice we give on this podcast, so make sure to do your own research Consult your own experts before acting on anything you learn here. In short, be responsible for your own money. Okay, let's dive in. Would you please explain, somebody, I know you're good at this too, Miranda, what the heck is Web 3.0? Was my explanation good? What is it? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, Web 1 was static. Web 2 was two-way communication. But Web 3 is really what enables true, verifiable digital ownership of assets in the virtual world. So, you know, right now, like you create content on YouTube, Facebook, wherever, uh, those platforms own and control it. Or if you like to play video games, Fortnite, you know, those companies own those skins and everything. And you don't really have a, a say on how that happens. And and Web3 in a general concept is trying to change that. It's trying to give individual users a little more privacy, a little more security, and actually a real verifiable sense of ownership that you can do something, whatever you want to do, with your assets. Now, I, you know, by the way, Robert, last night, I just remembered this. I was talking to my wife last night, and I told her I was doing this podcast today. And uh, she said, what's Web 3.0? And I gave an explanation about what you just gave. You control your own uh, your your own uh, privacy, and you know, and we can interact with each other instead of having to go through a bank, for example, to pay each other money or whatever. And so she, she said, "Well, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Wait, what do you mean?" <laughs> and I kind right, I, I thought I'd done a good explanation. Imagine, <laughs> imagine. Just like I used to do this when I was a TV news reporter. Pretend like I'm eight, and, yeah. and explain what Web three three or Web three is. Well, it's important to put in the context of something. So if we want to talk about trading stocks, for example, a great idea is right now, if you were to buy or sell a stock, it goes to an exchange, it goes to a middleman, you know, it matches everything up. 
And then, you know, it settles in like three days. I mean, yeah, it shows up in your account right away, but like your true transaction hasn't even settled for three days, right? And so you couldn't necessarily withdraw that cash right away or, or do anything with it. You're waiting in limbo. Well, what Web3 is really trying to do is cut out those middlemen. So in a trading example, for instance, you can trade instantaneously cross-border worldwide, and it can be verified anywhere from seconds to minutes. You know, some of these blockchains are a little slower. Bitcoin's about 20 minutes. But you can have a fully verified, accessible transaction so much faster today. And so how would that work for you? Why should you care? Well, we were just at a conference last week, and we had a lot of international visitors at that conference. Do you think that they actually did a bank transfer and settled up paying people with like Venmo? No, they can't because they're not in countries that do that. A lot of them were paying in these cryptocurrencies. And Web3 is what enables that to happen instantaneously, cross-border, and verifiable in seconds. Well, give me examples of things that are in what, that are included under the umbrella of Web.3. Obviously, cryptocurrencies, right? That's a big one. That's the one that I think everyone hears the most about these days. Um, you also have NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And sadly, and I say sadly, that art NFTs have what have gained the biggest traction with pictures of apes and things like that. But <laughs> NFTs themselves are so much more than art pictures, and they have a lot of functions and uses. You also have things like DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, um, which these are basically like LLCs, except everything is digitized. And so there's a lot of functionality that you can bring to this. And then you have a whole host of other things in terms of payments, domain names on the website, where things are hosted and how files are hosted. Like, you really start opening it up when you realize that you don't have to have a centralized clearinghouse or place or entity that is suddenly the defining rule maker of whatever it is we're talking about. And so okay, you see let, a lot of this. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to see if I could use an example. Um, I, I just, you said domain names. Okay. So I want to register a domain name right now. So I go to GoDaddy or one of these organizations and I, and I pay a fee. What, what would happen in a decentralized world? No GoDaddy. I've just right. decided I'm going to make this, this website my website. Um, but how do I know there's not another one like it? So you can validate it on the blockchain. And that's where we have things like the Ethereum name service and different things. But instead of a centralized, quote unquote, cabal of rule makers that are deciding on what domain names are allowed and how it's controlled, you can go onto the Ethereum name service, which is literally just an app for this and it's on the blockchain and you can look at everyone's domain names that exist and if it's not there you can add yours by you know paying a little ethereum and having it processed in the blockchain and now you own it awesome now and, and this is something that i was confused about before i think i understand it now the ethereum which i own i own some ethereum um i this is not just a store of value uh, in other words, this isn't something I'm just speculating on. And if I want to build something, like in, in this example you just gave, if I want to register my name, my my new domain name on, for for a website, I'm going to have to pay some Ethereum, right, to do it, right. So that's why I would own Ethereum. It's not it's not just speculating, hoping it goes up in value so I can sell it for a profit. 
it's because I may be able to, I'm going to need this as currency, essentially, to do things I want to do on the blockchain. Is that accurate? And, and that's how I like to view it and how I like to tell people, like, we don't really ask ourselves what the value of the U.S. dollar is, right? We literally just go to the gas station, pay our dollars, get our gas. Like, it's not like a question. And that's how, like, in the Ethereum world, you transact. Like, you literally pay your Ethereum, you make your transactions happen. However it is that you want to transact, you want to buy something, you want to sell something, you know, and I think as Americans on this podcast, we are very behind on this. If you go to a lot of other countries, they are Ethereum natives. Like contractors will now get paid in ETH. And they just doesn't matter if ETH is worth, you know, $150 or $100 or $200. They just like, hey, I'm going to get paid 0.1 ETH this week. And that's how they live their lives. And that's also how they transact their lives. And so it is really a currency that enables you to do other things. Now, now wait, now wait. I'm lost there. Okay, you're going to pay me 0.1 ETH per week. Well, that but that ETH is fluctuating in value every five seconds. I in mean, terms it, of it, dollars, don't I have to immediately convert it into people in the yeah. e people in the ecosystem aren't interested in its dollar value. People in the ecosystem, it's it, ETH is an ETH. A Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. Whatever you're using they're not worried about its dollar value. They're worried about... Well, yeah, but that's fine. That's fine, Brandon. Okay, but that's as long good as for I people go who to live inside store. the internet and right. buying things yeah. inside the internet. So how does this translate into the real world? How does all of you this go to public help and buy the real milk. world? How, how are you does NFTs help the tangible items in the real world? Yeah. I mean, right now it doesn't, let's be honest. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, the, the idea here, right, though, is to be able to say, like, okay, if I want to get into this alternative money system, can I? And do I use it as a way to get me outside of, like, centralized financial structures? And, and now let me ask both of you guys this, too. There are still people, and I've, I've been investing 40 years. I was a stockbroker for 10 years. I mean, I've dedicated my entire life to uh, different forms of investment, but I've never seen anything like this where you've got some people, Warren Buffett, expert investors who say, this stuff's going to zero. And then you've got other people, also experts, saying this stuff's going to a million dollars. I mean, there, there seems to be no real consensus among people who, where there should be. I mean, they're they're just like diametrically opposed. I why, mean, why would that be? It's we are in 1998-1999 regular Web two internet, and we don't know who the winners are going to be. I think what this is all saying is that why do people think it's going to be a million? Why do people think it's going to be a zero? It's you're asking them different takes on the same question. So, you know, Warren Buffett thinks that you know any individual blockchain could go to zero, and he's right because we don't know who the winner is going to be. There's probably going to emerge three or four different blockchains that are going to run their own kind of system, whether that's payments, whether that's NFTs, whether that's transactions. And we don't know that winner yet. But on the flip side, there's other people who are like, it's going to be this chain. And as a result of it being adopted, it's going to rise in price. And I think that's the hard part is there will be a lot of losers. But I think a lot of this technology and stuff has become so established in such a short period of time that it's very hard for me to imagine you know, it totally disappearing. That doesn't mean that any individual chain will go to zero. It's no different than any individual company in the S&P 500. Like it could literally go bankrupt tomorrow. You know, they could have bad contracts like we had in 2007, 2008 and like just wiped off the, you know, planet really quick. Um, very possible. But on the same token, um, you know, this technology is being used in so many facets of society um, outside of finance, even that, um, 
it's really hard to see that it's going to go to zero, but it might not go to a million either. Like I would, I personally don't bet on the price of a fluctuation, just like I don't bet on the value of the U S dollar. Like it doesn't make sense to me in that regard. Isn't the term decentralized really a false advertising? It depends. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, well, every company distributed inside, ledger is what it is. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's by ledger, definition but I mean, in order for the whole right? thing to work, I mean, there has to be fees exchanging hands somehow. Somebody's got to trickle money to make this thing work. Well, but it's the same. It's the same motto that Visa and Mastercard use, right? So you swipe your card, Visa and Mastercard get what two percent of that transaction. Well, that's the best way to think of the blockchain, right? You want to process a transaction on the blockchain, you pay a little bit of gas fees or transaction fees, and those go to these. They get distributed out to all the decentralized computers that are processing it. So there's kind of a mutual incentive for both people to process these transactions. Even Joe Schmo uh, running their computer. Um, you know, out there because anyone that does a transaction, you know, they pay a fee for that transaction to take place. You know, that, that reminds me of something I was going to ask you too, that we're talking about decentralized network, right? Right. So I can pay you without having to go through the bank or any number of other applications. Well, my ether is sitting at a exchange. I mean, it's basically the same thing as a bank, right? That's Isn't what it? I mean. Well, then it's not decentralized. I mean, if, if you're what, keeping what it on I, the exchange, it's here? not. I just wrote a thing about that, didn't I? I think, you know, don't trust yeah. the exchange. <laughs> so I always like to like think about this, like you were a stock trader for years, so you could keep your stock shares custodied at a, a major brokerage firm. Or, I mean, no one does this anymore, but you could have your share certificates in your house and lock them up. And I could have, you and I could have walked and met on a street corner and transacted on those share certificates. Oh, you're right. And that's Good point. that's kind of the way that you should view this is that, you know, there is a lot of convenience to be said for keeping your Ethereum on an exchange or your Bitcoin or whatever it is, because you can transact very easily. But on the same token, um, it is decentralized. So you could pull it, you can custody your own cryptocurrency. And there's a lot of decentralized exchanges out there where you can make transactions happen off these exchanges as well. We need to take a break here in a minute. But real quick, before we do, I just remembered something. We talked about the merge at the beginning of this podcast and said, we'll explain it in a minute. We haven't. Uh, so quick explanation. Today is September 15th, a, a day that will live in infamy in crypto land, because this is the day the merge took place one of you two explain what the merge is. Um, <laughs> so Ethereum is changing its mode of consensus from proof of work to proof of stake. And so it had to build a new blockchain to do this. And so it's been kind of running these parallel blockchains. But today is the magical day of the merge when it all becomes proof of stake and magically faster, and the world becomes new and fresh. Is there a world in which you think somebody could have understand what the hell you just said? I was like, I love <laughs> this explanation because so so yeah, blockchain going to fix it. Well, I'll, I'll try to fix it. But all this technology revi- relies on everyone proving something decentralized. Right. So how do you prove that I really sent you, you know, a thousand dollars in ETH? Like, how do we prove that? So before we used to have all these computers using all their graphics cards and they were cranking out math equations nonstop um, until someone cracked the magic code and basically it said, yes, this transaction is real. And so that's the premise of proof of work is that work is being done to prove this happens. Well, there's a whole different math algorithm that's called proof of stake, where it's basically like enough people have staked their money on this transaction being valid like I've basically effectively bet enough money that this transaction is valid that 
we're going to believe you because you have way too much to lose if you lied to us. And that is the premise of proof of stake is that people have put in literally like billions of dollars in Ethereum to say, yes, I'm not lying to you. <laughs> this transaction is valid because if they did lie, they would lose their stake and they would lose billions and billions of dollars. So no. to, to, to say a $1,000 transaction is a lie doesn't make mathematical financial sense. And so we've transitioned. And the reason that we transitioned is because now we don't have to use all these graphics processors. It saves a lot of energy and it's a lot easier for people to validate this. So it's a big deal. There's a lot of math. You can go down a rabbit it's hole. Also why, it's also why NVIDIA stock has plummeted. No one wants to don't buy graphics me. processors yeah. anymore. <laughs> but, but no, but so is this the reason then, Robert? Why? I mean, I wasn't exaggerating. If you look at, uh, at any website, financial website today, it'll say this is one of the most instrumental things has ever occurred uh, in, in uh, blockchain technology. I mean, it, today. I mean, it was that big of a deal. It and, was, uh, yeah. It just just because we're saving power and still maintaining the you know the same distributed ledger is that it, why? And it makes it a lot continue to be more scalable. So at the end of the day, when you have all these computers and graphic processors and power being used, like you're gonna hit hard limits of how much work can physically be done to validate transactions. And so Ethereum was growing so much. There was so much demand that, I mean, like you, you're going to hit this point where like we literally couldn't use it any longer at scale. And by switching now, we can start doing more transactions and more processes and the, the blockchain can continue to grow. And the reason that's important is because Ethereum is like we talked about, it's what's built on these smart contracts and programs and apps and stuff. So Bitcoin has kind of become the digital gold standard. Ethereum has kind of become the digital cash standard of web three and so to be able to have it continue to scale is is very essential cool well we're going to go ahead and take a really quick break but when we come back you guys need to stick with us and i'll tell you why because when we come back these experts are going to tell us exactly how we're going to make a fortune doing what they do they're going to show us their distributed ledger or whatever the hell it is <laughs> so we're going to be right back after this okay we're back I promised that you guys are going to tell us how to make money. I mean, that is the purpose of, of this podcast is making people richer. So how are we going to get richer through Web 3.0? Could, could be crypto, but it could be other, other things in Web 3.0, right? We have, we've hardly touched on the metaverse. I mean, you know, all these things are part of Web 3.0. Tell me how to make some money. I mean, I'll share in my eyes is I, I'm not the one that's going to advocate trading cryptocurrencies or flipping NFTs or things like that. What's interesting to me are the companies that are going to leverage this technology to make transactions, everything more seamless. I always think of like, how do I invest in the Amazons of the world, right? So Amazon yeah. basically took the internet, like web one, and they're like, I can sell books. Well, I want to find these companies and, and there's, there's so many people working on this in their basement. It's, it's impossible to know, but who is going to take this technology, these marketplaces, this ideology and, and build the one that's going to hit the public. So I think the first emerging trends we're going to see are in the gaming space, potentially the music space, um, because these are areas where you have a monopoly or an oligopoly of companies. There's like three of them that suck all the value out of the economy. And they're not letting their creators, their players, or anything realize any value. You can't trade your in-game items and things like that. And so I do think that gaming is going to be one of the first mainstream publicly traded company areas that we're going to see um, a lot of value created from this technology in. 
specific company, please? I don't know. They're all being developed. There's no, oh, okay. That's the thing. So, so we, we don't, don't know. So we have well, there are there are big gaming companies out there, but the big gaming right? companies are still based on the Web two model of complete value extraction of their economies. So you know, like the what about Roblox? Do you know Roblox? Yeah, I do. And they're they're close, but they're they're starting to launch a couple apps where people can earn Roblox in the app for playing games and creating things. Um, but I haven't heard much of them trying to adopt this NFT type model where you can sell, monetize, and create as well. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I've been looking at that stock for quite a while. It was up around 100 uh, when everything was higher uh, last year. And it got down as low as 25 this year. Uh, and I think now it's around 42 or something like that. But they're, they're basically a game maker. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're a game maker and an ecosystem creator. So if you yeah. have kids, you know, but the problem is, again, is that you buy Roblox, you spend Roblox, everything is Roblox driven. They extract 100% of the value of their own creation. Oh, okay. And so if you own a game. So not so much Web 3.0. It's not Web 3.0. And that's where it's, I think, okay. you know, but the incentives don't necessarily align. And I think the next company, they have potential to pivot, not to say they won't. Um, or they might buy a company or do different things. But I think gaming is going to be the first one we're going to see NFTs adopted in a different way. Okay, well, I, I need specifics here. Miranda, <laughs> now, well, actually, before before we do that even, forget stocks for a second. If I am a person who wants to buy crypto, it, sound, it seems to me like I would want to, I mean, obviously, Miranda is an investor in lots and lots of different crypto, right, Miranda? Yeah, I, I have a bigger crypto portfolio than I should. <laughs> and and I'm I'm only in ether. You know, I, I read a New York Times article about this whole thing, gosh, I don't know, five or six years ago. Um, and so it, it seemed to me like because ether is used to actually make apps uh and other types of, of services and programs, that's that's what I went with ether. Um so if, if someone said to me, Stacy, which crypto would you buy? I'd say, Well, I'm I'm buying ether. I, I like ether the best. What would you guys, what would you two say? Because anyone who who's going to do wait, what wait, I clar- suggest is something. probably an idiot. Wait, 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 wait. Before you get to that, clarify something. So, are you saying that buying the actual coin, the digital currency, is like investing in these these group of of people that are actually creating the Ethereum blockchain? Is this one of the same? I mean, are you investing in the company? I mean, I understand. Well, you're investing in the in the blockchain. Yeah. Okay. Right. Robert. Well, you're buying the currency. This is where you're it's like the currency. This you're is buying the weird. currency. This is where it's hard. So. I'm not a I could, like Stacy. Do you like to trade forex? Would you? Would you? If you think the Australian economy is going to grow this year, would you buy the Australian dollar or would you? I, I am not. I am not an investor in forex. I, I I don't believe in doing commodities at all. But that's um, how I view crypto on these or, ex- or futures. Rather. But that's yeah. how I view these these chains. So buying ether is buying the currency of it. It's not necessarily investing in it. So you're trading yeah, on price speculation. Is what you're trading yeah, on. Yeah, yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm trading on. Which yes. is and the and the reason I think that there's some upside is because there's some there's greater use what I perceive greater use in ether than there would be in um any other um uh, common cryptocurrency. So if ether is gonna be the backbone of web three how do you invest in it without investing in the currency? What yeah, okay, that's a good question. Well you can invest in 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 um Exchanges? You're going to know, what, yeah, what would you, you do, that's it. You're going to invest in companies that are developing on it. You could invest yeah. in companies that have like NFTs. You could potentially buy an NFT. 
Um, you could stake your Ether as well. So if you think that, uh, you know, Ether is going to be the transaction protocol, well, stake it. You're going to get all those payment fees are going to come flowing to you through how much you stake it on there. Okay, explain what staking is because no one's going to know that who's hearing this. So staking is where you put your money into these pools that validate these transactions. So you are putting it in to basically essentially bet that this transaction is valid. And as a result of your stake, you get a percent of the payment or the processing fee. Where, where am I going to do this? To an exchange? To like Coinbase or something, an exchange it, that sells cryptos? You, you can do it on an exchange, but you can also do it on... Directly. The, directly, yes. Directly with who? On the blockchain. You do it with these staking pools in a decentralized exchange. So if you do it on a Coinbase or a centralized exchange... There's nothing wrong with that, but you're not going to realize as much as you would because they're going to take it. They're going to take their cut, right? So it's an easy way to do it, but realize that you are paying for convenience by doing it on the Coinbase. Okay, so I'm going to take I'm going to take all of my um, ether out of the. Ex- I, I've got two different exchanges that are holding it for me. I'm going to put it in a wallet, and then I'm going to find somebody that'll go that I can go in with and stake it. Yes, is that what you're you saying? You could. Okay, and how do I find them? You go on the decentralized protocols and there, there's a bunch of them out there and you have to go to a D app and you, it's, it's a complicated. It's very complicated. Well, this, is why every time, every time, <laughs> this is why everybody's every, doing it. Every time we, yeah. every time we have one of these, these podcasts about crypto, I feel like shooting myself. <laughs> this is why I, mean, I just say if, if, if you're, if I mean, you're just I'm an expert at money and I'm, and I'm so easily lost in this. I feel like I'm four years this old. This is why I always say, if you are just dabbling, if you're not interested in getting into the into the ecosystem, then sure, stick with a centralized exchange, make it easy for yourself uh, and and do that. Because if you're not serious about actually getting deep into the ecosystem and you don't want, because it is, it's a very steep learning curve here and you have to go to interesting places and have, you know, how you're going to connect your wallet. And like, so, so it is, it's very important if, if you're just getting started, then okay, go ahead, go to Coinbase, get your 3.25%. It's going to be better than what you're getting at the bank anyway, and move on with your life. But if, if you really want to get into this, uh, read Cult of Money, it gets a little bit crazy there. But, uh, but you'll be able to find these decentralized type exchanges like your, Unisop, your Uniswaps and your um, you know, and, and, and things like AAVE where you can You know what this stuff. reminds okay, okay, me okay, of, okay. Miranda? I'm going to say something Usually the person that makes everything simplified is the winner. You know, when uh, it's hard yes. to get music, but then Apple comes out with the iPod and says, here, here's one yeah. dial and you can listen to all Good your point. music. They win because most people aren't going to understand anything you guys are saying. Exactly. So who in this playing field is dumbifying this and making it and simple And that's who everybody. we don't know yet, but that's who I want to invest in. So when you're talking about it, I uh. want to get to that company, that place, because I don't think these tools or things are changing, but we will leave the days of Napster and we will get to like <laughs> Apple Music. But I don't know what the company is that's building that tool because there are hundreds and thousands of them out there right now. And a lot of them are in their parents' basement or, you know, they're on an island somewhere because it's decentralized. But these are the people that are going to be, to me, I want to invest in the companies that are going to deliver the value on these platforms. I don't want to trade a currency on price speculation. I want to know the person that's going to bring all the value to the whole country and world. But, do you think it's but really Robert, in the, in the I, garage or do you think it's already, the company is already in the S&P 500 that's going to do this? I 
Well, yeah, what about that? I think it's, I truly actually think it's in the garage, but not to say that a company in the S&P 500 won't buy them in three to five years. Um, I think that this companies play it way too conservative that are already, you know, established and they're dabbling in it. But the fact that like probably all 500 of 500 companies in the S&P 500 are dabbling in it says something, right? So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about, in fact, before we leave and we're just about out of time, I, I want to say something really important. For those of you who are listening, who want to invest in Web 3.0 or Web 3, here's what I would advise you to do. Here's what I did yesterday. Go to your, go to Google, put in um, investing in Web 3.0, or, or do this even more direct, ETFs for Web 3. And then you're going to get a bunch of ETFs that come up. So these are exchange-traded funds for the novices out there. So then you can go to those funds and you can see what stocks they hold because they all tell you, the ETF says, here's our 10 biggest holdings. And you'll probably find Meta in there, you know, and things like that. Google, probably, some things that may not be directly related. But if you're interested in investing in this, and I think, and I think you should be, then go to, do that. Search for ETF Web3. Look at those individual ETFs. See what their top holdings are. And then look at those individual companies and see if there's something you want to be a part of. Do you, do you guys agree with that, Robert and Miranda? Yeah, I think it's a savvy yeah. way to do it, especially when you look 100%. at the, the the themes of those companies too. Like, is it payments? Is it metaverse? Is it, you know, different things? Like, I think you'll start seeing one where the use cases of Web3 are much better than the use cases in other scenarios. And to me, I'm very bullish on payments in general. Um, I think it's mm. probably a, the most practical use case today, like without changing the world. Cool. Well, in the meantime, if you want to get frustrated, indulge in conversations just like the <laughs> ones we've had, if you don't understand Web 3.0. You know what this reminds me of, you guys? My wife is big into techno. She's much younger than me. So I'm always like, what, what do you mean? First of all, don't call it techno. It's called EDM, electronic dance music. And I'll be like, yeah, but it all sounds, it sounds the same. Are you out of your mind? You're telling me you can't tell between breakbeats and deep house. And I'm like, Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I get, I get in these conversations where I don't know. I just feel like killing myself. I just don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And I feel like that when I did, went on this topic too sometimes. So if that's you out there, folks, if you feel a little confused by this stuff, you're not alone because I'm a genius and I'm confused by it. <laughs> well, and I think the important <laughs> thing is to take a step back and and realize like you can dabble in this. You can get a few things, just make sure you're limiting how much you're putting into it. I was just on a panel this last week talking about crypto investments and digital assets. And if you're, if you're not ready to like dive deep in, say, okay, well, I've got a little bit of fun money. I've got a little bit of play money. Uh, I'll try some stuff out and see what there is and make it easy, make it convenient, go someplace where it's easy and convenient and don't get bogged down in, in trying to like figure all the technical stuff out. If you're interested in it, you can learn about that later. But for now, you know, keep it simple. Go to a centralized exchange and and try some stuff out with money that you can afford to lose. Well, I do have an investment plan, and that is to follow you guys around and do whatever you do. That's I'm going to say it's going to be short-lived because the second we have quantum computers up and running, none of this is going to matter. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to introduce another term for you all to just mull over. I'm, I'm looking at hash graph right now. So... Okay, that's it. It's time I'm to not, be done. <laughs> that's it. Don't, you're, you're already, I already feel like a fool. I'm supposed to be the expert in this program, and I don't mind not knowing everything, but now I'm starting to get pissed off, okay? 
I'm really not. I really appreciate you guys helping me understand this. And it's going to take, I'm going to say, 60 more podcasts before I actually get it. In the meantime, we are out of time, folks. But we are never out of topic. Dig a little deeper. You're going to find lots links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, well, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. And of course, you want to visit Robert. Robert, tell me your website again. I don't have it right in front of me. Cult of Money, C-U-L-T, Cult of Money. Cultofmoney.com. And that one of many websites that Robert apparently has. But uh, go to that one to learn more about this. In the meantime, if you've got a question, comment, or topic you would like to suggest, tell us about it. Email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one last thing, you already heard me say it once, but if you like what we do, do something for us. Subscribe to this podcast. It takes you two seconds. It helps us. So if you like it, show us and subscribe. I'm Stacy Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. I'm Aaron Freeman. I'm Robert Farrington. Robert, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Thanks for hanging out with us. And thanks, everyone. We'll see you right here next time.